Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Anthony Rex of the B1 Make One Ministry. Let's tune in now for Anthony's message. Well, good morning. Average morning. Good, just kidding. Good to see you guys. I'm so glad to be with you. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. So our brother read from Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in chapter 1, which is going to set us up for the prayer of chapter 3. So this works perfectly together. I am incredibly impressed with a few things here in Texas. Number one, um, the kind of food I've been eating. I think I'm going to have to fast until like Wednesday just on purpose. I feel like I couldn't even eat breakfast today. I felt so full i got a red taco yesterday is that what it was y'all who's had a red taco what is that thing it was good i don't know what it was but i I was in i was really impressed with that i'm also impressed with the weather juke you guys pulled on me you know i was in i was in morgantown west virginia mountains of west virginia two weeks ago and when you travel and you pack you're just stuck with the clothes you got you know i'm like i can't just go to target every week and um Took a sweater to Morgantown, West Virginia. It's November, right? I'm in the mountains and it's 84 degrees on Sunday there. And I was just dying. And I come down here and I scraped my window today. I was so mad at y'all for that. (laughs) I was also really impressed with, uh, speaking of the communion cups, your Jesus Lunchables are really good. So good job on that. The, the, the bread was actually like, I, I had like styrofoam last week. So this week was really, really good. Let me tell you what most like, warmed by my heart is warmed by being here this is all the dirty secret i'm gonna tell on you ken this is the dirty secret of ministry man it blesses us like it just it fills us up when it's done with the people of god and the spirit of god i was so encouraged by the group we met with friday and saturday y'all got some elders and some ministers on your staff that love jesus deeply that love you all so unconditionally that have this heart this burden for 10th and broad church to be vibrant healthy and to make impact we spent time i'd ask him to do things like you know what is a dream that you have what's keeping you up at night what's on your heart what's burdening you and all revolved around impacting wichita falls for the glory and greatness of the name of jesus christ y'all glad to hear that let me tell you something. It's been kind of a rough couple years. Amen to that. I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know um, what you brought in with you. Um, and so typically when the guy who comes in to do sort of, you know, leadership, guided facilitation, strategy, workshop stuff, it's like, oh, what's he going to preach about? Like some sort of like strategic, you know, thing for the people. And I'm not, um, I'm a preacher by heart. So when Ken said double portion, that translates immediately to like double the length, right? Not just double the depth. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I want to give you what I've learned from the apostle Paul when he thought about churches that he loved dearly and what he was praying for them about okay because i don't know how y'all came in here um heavy burdens super excited been a great week tired and fatigued but what i'm seeing as i go place to place spend time with church leaders and christians at locations is there is an urgency of our cultural moment 
combined with a fatigue. Does that sound familiar? An urgency of this cultural moment. Like we know where we're at, right? Things are shifting. Things feel different. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. You know, I'm a Yankee, so sorry about that. They say don't speak and preach without a translator. I thought I would need a translator in Texas. I guess I don't. But um, in Columbus, I hear it's very similar down here. That culture is shifting. That is changing. But the urgency amongst people that I'm hearing is also met with an excitement and an opportunity and a belief of what are we going to do to be vibrant, to really let God work through us to be vibrant, healthy, and make massive impact. So what I have for you today is this, a prayer from Paul that I believe he prayed for churches that I think we ought to be praying for each other, that I pray for you, especially as I've spent time with you all. So in Ephesians chapter one, I'm going to read verse 15 all the way down to verse 23, just to let you sit in this prayer. Now, just like our brother read from chapter three, these are the two great prayers that really bookend and, and are the catalyst for the book of Ephesians. Remember, Paul is... Um, deeply, deeply connected to these people. He loves them so much. In fact, he's placed Timothy there to care for them and he continues to invest in them. And here's how he prays. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Tracking so far, sounds like 10th and broad to me. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If I preach all of that, can we might be here a while, but I want you to see something here. Here's the, did you catch the center of the prayer down there? Verse 18. And this is my prayer for you out of all the things that we could think about all the strategies we could do, all the planning we could make. There's something here that Paul does for the church in Ephesus that we need to be zeroing in on. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened down to this piece, that you would know something, that you would know something. He wants us to know something. Now, what's interesting about Paul and his pastoral prayers, you see him show up throughout, you know, his writings, he prays for churches and he tells them what he's praying about. What's interesting about his prayers is that he doesn't like descend into their world and pray for certain circumstances to change. He doesn't pray for certain things to be different oftentimes. 
Um, there are moments and times when he gets into certain nuances of what's going on in people's lives and he wants those things to be different and he cares about what's going on specifically and their hurting or their challenges. But here he's rooting you or he's tethering you or he's anchoring you to something that has the power to transcend those things, to call upon you, to do more than just survive and wait till glory. But to thrive, to have what Jesus called Zoe, fullness of life. Y'all looking for that? Every one of us in here is looking for that. To thrive and ultimately to call you into participation with him. Which Paul called his greatest honor. He says, I can't believe that God allows us to participate in what he is doing in the world. Let me start by asking this question. Do you believe that God is working in Wichita Falls, Texas. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's moving? Do you believe the words of Jesus when he told his disciples in John chapter 4, lift up your eyes, the field is wide unto harvest. There are those who want Jesus. And his prayer then, he says, ask God not for harvest. What did he say? Ask God for laborers. Now, At this moment, I could pivot and go, hey, listen, Jesus prayed for laborers, so I'm going to use guilt and shame and kind of, you know, twist on you to see if I can twist your arm to, like, feel bad enough to want to participate with him in his mission. But I don't want to go that route because it's pretty short-lived. And you might get excited today. You might even come forward and cry. I'm going to be all in. But it won't sustain. This is what Paul's doing here. He wants you to know something that will compel your heart To absolutely say, I give my entire life to you. I want to participate with you. All the dreams I had, all the plans I have, all the strategies I have, the things that matter most to me. What matters most now is what you see ultimately in reality. Okay, so look at the three things. Really simple. We'll step into them. And I'm I'm watching real quick. I do want to be respectful. It's 11.10 or 10.10. About 10.30, 10.25. Okay. Look at these three things. Let me just kind of highlight them real fast. He says in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know, that you may know something. Now this word know, there's two ways that you speak about the word know in Greek. Gnosko and Edo, you know, there's there's two different ways that we talk about knowing something. One of them is experiential knowledge. Like, like, Like I know the red taco is good. You know why? Because I ate it. Like I, I experienced it, I, I had it in there and I tasted it and I can tell you it was good. So when I go home, I will say, I know that it's good because I had it. That's what he says. I want you to know something as if it's absolute certainty. Okay. What is the hope to which he has called you? Number one, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Do you see those three things he wants you to know? Number one. The hope to which he has called you. Hope. You know, we use hope um, some many different ways. Like, I hope my flight doesn't get canceled today. That's a fair way to use the word hope, right? And I'm just, you know, crossing my fingers that weather and there's no pilot strikes. And I just, you know, hope that my flight doesn't get canceled. Got stuck in Abilene one time in March. It was kind of fun. I didn't know what to do in Abilene for eight hours, but it was fine. I hope it doesn't get canceled. I hope that souls come to know Christ. I hope for that too. 
But you know, all of those, those two ways we speak about hope, whether it's just like a preference thing, or it's even like this um, thing that we really care deeply about that's meaningful and eternal. There's something deeper here that he wants you to know than just a hope that things go well for you circumstantially or hope even that better things happen for people in eternal. There's something deeper about his hope. He says the hope to which you have been called. The first thing he's doing is calibrating your life, your mind to eternity. And man, it gets hard to stay calibrated to eternity, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but like, I got three kids at home. I'm married, got to mow grass occasionally, you know, I got like jobs. It's hard to stay calibrated to eternity. But there's something special about the hope of eternity. If you look in 1 Peter 1, he describes it that way when he says it's imperishable. It's reserved in heaven for us. It's beautiful. It's going to be there. He says it's reserved for those who are kept by the power of God. But in verse 3, he tells you that this living hope that you have is born in you. Do you remember why? How you get this living hope born in you? He says because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you this for this reason. Here's something special about the hope that he wants you to know. It requires nothing of you to keep it alive. Every hope that you have in this life outside of that requires you to breathe life into it. If you hope to be an NBA basketball player, you have to breathe life into that hope. Does that make sense? You got to go work. You got to hope that you grow. You got to shoot the basketball. If you hope to buy a house, you've got to breathe life into that hope. You got to save money. You got to shop the market. You got to hope the rates come down, right? You, you are, you breathing life into it. If you hope that you become a surgeon or you hope that you get married, you breathe life into those hopes. And the moment you stop breathing life into them, what happens to the hope? It goes away. But there is a hope that you don't breathe life into, but it breathes life back into you. You know that? And when you calibrate your life to a hope that gives you life, not one that, because our entire world revolves around us breathing life into hopes, right? We're constantly trying to hope for things tomorrow to be better or in 10 years to be better or in 100 years to be better. We're constantly breathing life into hopes. And when we get tired, like it's been the last couple of years, some of those hopes start to wane. Because we get tired of breathing life into them. And Paul here is praying. Yes, dream. Yes, have hopes. But I want you to be rooted to a hope that breathes life into you. I don't have time today, but if you don't know for certainty that you can be sure that Jesus Christ was dead in a tomb and his physical body didn't just resuscitate, but was resurrected. And he walked out of a tomb in the course of human history. If you don't know that, there is plenty of good study and evidences for that. And I'm confident that Kim will help you or others here will help you. Because even if you've been a Christian for three months or 30 years, do not let yourself not be sure that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Don't let that happen. Because circumstances are going to go up and down. Things are going to happen. People are going to encourage you and discourage you. But if you root yourself in the resurrection of Jesus and all that it means when he walked out of the tomb and he defeated death and he had a brand new body that was, if if you don't sink your teeth into that, you will eventually get shipwrecked. So he's saying here, I'm praying that every single one of the people in Ephesus, in 10th and broad, I'm praying that you would know the hope 
to which you've been called. A hope that gives you life and a hope of all eternity of what it will be kept by the power of God. Got the first one? Sink your teeth into hope. Number two, he says, I pray that you would know the hope to which you've been called. The second one, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Inheritance, right? I don't know how that rings for you. <laughs> could be a good word for you. It could be like, eh, doesn't mean much to me, you know, where I come from. Um, there's something interesting about this phrase. It's worded uniquely. And on one hand, he just talked about the hope that we have, right? So on one hand, you read this and you go, okay, he's talking about the inheritance that we're going to have. <clears throat> this is the word that Peter used when he was talking in 1 Peter 1, where he says that there is something that is held for us. It's imperishable. It's an inheritance. And Peter is calling back to the language that the Jewish people used when they thought about the promised land, wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, uh, and, you know, in the desert, hoping for it. And he says, that's the inheritance that God has promised that will be yours. And our mind might go maybe to other passages where we think about Romans chapter 8. Where we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is what he did. This is what makes the power of the, or the story of the prodigal son have so much power. This is what Jesus was doing in that story. He was telling a story about how automatic it was for a shepherd to go look for what is lost. And for a woman to look for what is lost. And then the third story is about an older brother. Why isn't it automatic for that brother to go look for what is lost? That's the point of that story. Do you understand? Yeah, secondarily, we're all prodigals. We run away. We need God, all that. But the point of that story was he was standing there with tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees who were judging those tax collectors and sinners. And he says, listen, let me tell you a story with three parts. It's normal for a shepherd to go look for sheep. It's normal for a woman to look for the coin that she has lost, right? But why isn't it normal for an older brother to go look for a younger brother? That was the point of that story. And what you see in that story, when the younger brother comes back, what made the older brother so mad? He says, this is all my stuff, right? If he had given the younger brother his inheritance, he left, he spent it all. The party that was thrown for the younger brother was actually the stuff that was going to be the older brothers. It was his stuff eventually, right? It cost the older brother. And what that story tells us is that we have an older brother who at the cost of his inheritance comes and finds us and generously and graciously shares with us can you believe that like the creator of the world i love that hebrews passage we read right before i preached i was like "Ooh, should i preach on that that was good um where he says by the word of his power this thing is spinning and my lungs are going in and out because he's going go ahead and breathe go ahead and breathe again yeah you can breathe again it's my power That's making this happen. And he descends all the way down into this town and this place and this time. He says, I'm going to share my inheritance with you. I don't know about you, but that's like, me? What is man that you're mindful of me? I'm going to steal that line. That's my line now. But there's a second piece to this. I want you to read really carefully with me. So he says, the hope to which you've been called. Look again in verse 18. He says, the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I think there's a secondary way to understand this passage as well. Now you notice he says, it's his glorious inheritance. Where is that inheritance? In the saints, right? I think there's a secondary meaning to this that's really important for you that I think can 
change everything in your perspective about God. He talks about it being his inheritance. What do you mean his inheritance? It's his inheritance. It's in the saints. I think what Paul is driving you to also understand is how God through Jesus Christ views us. It's his inheritance. We've been given a deposit, the Holy Spirit that's in us in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says there, verses 11 through about 14, saying when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit. Meaning he's coming back, he's placed his deposit in you, saying you're the one he wants to buy. He's put his earnest money down. He's saying you're mine, you're what I want. And do you see his description here? His inheritance is in us. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about this. Imagine you were invited to... Um, Christmas at Warren Buffett's house. Y'all know Warren Buffett, right? The Oracle of Omaha. You got Nebraska Furniture Mart down here in Texas, I saw. What's he worth now? I don't know. Kajillion dollars? Who knows, right? And I don't know about how y'all do Christmas, but we do, like, once you get older and adults, you draw out of the hat and everybody gets one person to buy a present for. And you pull out of the hat and it says, Warren, you got to buy a present for Warren Buffett. What would you buy him? You know, Monopoly, maybe? He'd probably win that game, right? I don't know. What would you buy him? What would you buy Warren Buffett? Imagine the pressure you would feel like. I got to buy something. I'd probably go to like Kohl's or TJ Maxx or something. I don't know what I'm going to get. What are we going to get Warren Buffett that he goes, oh my goodness, you got me something. That times that by infinity. And imagine this. Warren opens the present. He goes, I cannot believe you got me this. This is everything I've ever wanted. It's exactly how the God of the universe thinks about you. Now I let that hang just for a minute because I think you believe that here, but I don't know if you believe it here. Your life will radically and forever change the moment that truth goes from here to here. It's about 18 inches. It's got to come down. Because, here's what I know. I'm convinced of this. That our life, our lives are consumed with a pursuit of finding something we adore that will want us back. And we give our lives to our work. We give our lives to our friends. We give our lives to our spouse. We give our lives to our children. All in this pursuit. Because we were wired by God to be loved by something infinitely valuable. Stanley Howard says it this way. The hardest thing. For a person to do is to let themselves be loved. Think about this. Imagine you're at the office, you're working, maybe you have a job, and somebody walks in and they hand you a gift. They go, here, I got you a present, I was thinking about you. What's your immediate instinct and reaction? Do you, I mean, you're like, oh, that's nice, but then you also are like, oh, I should have got you something, right? Or they give you a Christmas present, you're like, I should have, like, it, it, we're good at giving love to people. We're actually not bad at it. We can figure out how to do it. Sometimes we're manipulative, sometimes we're not, but we're, we're good at giving. But it's hard to let yourself be loved, am I right? In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, the prophet Isaiah says, just like a groom looks at his bride is exactly how God looks at you. Check it out. Isaiah 62 verse five. I've done lots of weddings. Can you done lots of weddings, right? You stand up here, you got the groom next to you and the bride comes down. You ever peek over at the groom and see what he's doing? They're crying. They're like, you know, they can't believe that she, she wants to like, they're overjoyed at that thought. You know what I'm talking about? The God of the universe looks at you and says, ah, oh, my inheritance, what I've wanted 
Not your performance, you. I want you. You got to let that sink in. So Paul prays that you would know the hope eternally to what you've been called, that you are the glorious inheritance of God of the universe. And the third thing he says is, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Now, what's interesting about this passage too is the only one of those three, the hope to which you've been called, the glorious inheritance that's in the saints that he has, and then the greatness of his power, the only one that he goes on to explain is the greatness of his power because I think he's telling us something. What's the one that we probably don't live into as most frequently? Boy, there's a lot of risk to that one. I was thinking about the end of of Ephesians 3, you know, where he says in 20 and 21, after he prays, which by the way, interestingly enough, ties together with this, Ephesians 3 tells you that you need the strength in your inner man of the power of the Holy Spirit to even know how much you're loved. Do you know you can't know you're loved without the power of the Holy Spirit, the way he says. He says, it's unknowable. And then he goes down, once you know how much you're loved, it unlocks verses 20 and 21. He says he can do anything beyond our imagination to his glory in the church. The greatness of his power towards us who believe. And here's the tethering fact of what he says. I promise you, you can do great things, big things unimaginable things. Take the thing that you think can't happen, right? Someone coming to Christ and knowing Jesus, um, a relationship being reconciled, your back's against the wall financially, you know, you don't know what you're going to do, where you're going to turn, what's going to come together. Think about the things that you're like, there's no way he can do beyond what you can imagine. But how often do we go, will you help? No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to like sanction my plans. You know what I'm talking about? I've got an idea, okay, like, hey, will you make this idea work? Or will you help, but like, I'm going to grab it back and I'm going to fix it and bring it back to you. I'm saying, how often do we go, can you just help? I need you. And here's these things pressing us. He says, if you don't believe that, look to this one fact. He talks about the greatness of the power when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And look what happened when we raised him from the dead. Down in verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Tell me something. In your life right now, person, circumstance, situation, tell me something that's greater than the power of God. And he finishes this passage by saying this. And he put all things under the feet of Jesus. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul uses that word head really creatively. In a way that's powerful. On one hand, it's rule, authority. We listen to him. What he says goes, right? He's the brain. He turns right, we go right. He turns left, we go left. But the other thing about the head that is really important is that it is the source of nourishment in life. So he's saying here, That he didn't just promise you eternity. He didn't just say, you are what I treasure. He didn't just say, he's got greatness to work through you. He placed your savior as your head. So all the pressure you feel in your life, all the stress you feel, all the wonderings you're doing, all the things you're going, what's going on in this world? How's this going to work? Oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed. He gave you the savior of the world as the one who can direct, guide, and sustain you. We just have to ease ourselves into receiving what he's offered by trusting him, by believing him. 
by having the courage of faith to walk with him. So we spent this weekend talking about how we're going to think about being disciples who make disciples. This is not a program. This is the mission from 80, whatever calendar you want to use from the time that Jesus left. This is the mission. This is the thing. All the thousands of things we do in church. This is the thing, the thing. Life on life, connected relationships, helping people come to know Jesus, helping people become more like Jesus, pursuing together, living out the 59 one another's in the New Testament about how we do life together. Christianity is a family of people crossing all boundaries, connected to Jesus Christ because we want to become just like him. John said, we don't know what we'll be like. We just know we're going to be like him someday. So let's pursue that together. But here's what I figured out. Paul wanted the Ephesian church to pursue that, to get down into weeds, to get committed, to start you know, thinking how they're going to do that in this city, in that time, in that place. And what he did, what I want to offer to you is you got to start with these three things. You need to be responding in your entire life to these three truths. There's an eternal hope that forever has changed the trajectory of your life that you need to be calibrated to. You are the inheritance that he is longing for. You are so unconditionally loved and indescribably loved that you need to let yourself be loved by him. And there is a greatness that you cannot even comprehend that wants to work in and through you. And if you tether, live by, anchor yourself into those three truths, you will naturally and comfortably step in into walking in partnership with Jesus Christ in his church. So I want to encourage you to do those three things. Are we going to sing one more song right now? Okay. No, no, no more songs. Shepherding prayer. Marty, you want to come up and pray for us? And um, my commission to you is that you live out of the reality of those three truths. Thank you all.